Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.org. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. There are politics everywhere, believe it or not. Even, even in families, there have been countless debates concerning family pets. And in most cases, from my observation, the pet party prevails. Inherent in it are negotiations and concessions, including the preaching on responsibility, the unknown cost of having a family pet, and who's going to feed and take care of it. As a church family, we need to understand that we have a privilege and that being privileged, there are some responsibilities that go along with it. When you have the privilege of a family pet, there are some responsibilities that go along with it. With the privilege of a driver's license, there are some responsibilities that go with it. If you immigrated to the United States and gained citizenship, it's a privilege. But there are some responsibilities that go with it. The church is to be a family that is thankful for and celebrates the privilege of being in Christ, as we just did in, in the Lord's Supper. But we also are very aware of the responsibilities that go with being a part of God's family. If we relay only half of the message of the Lord, if we speak of the privilege but fail to speak of the responsibility, then it's not really the message. Our actions are an expression of our gratitude for what Jesus has done. He rescued us from a dead relationship with God and brought us into a living relationship with God and continues to give us life. And there is responsibility for every disciple that accompanies the privilege of sitting at the banquet table of God. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again and offers the gift of eternal life, it ought to alter your actions. And I'm going to focus out of Luke chapter 14 this morning, verses 25 through 35, on four responsibilities that Jesus pointed out how we can be responsible members of God's family here and how we can be responsible for those who are disconnected from God and his family. The first thing has to do with priorities, prioritizing correctly. Jesus speaks to this beginning in verse 25. Notice in the context, a large crowd is following Jesus. Now, this isn't just 12 uh, disciples. This isn't just a, a small group. But this is a large crowd because Jesus has become popular. They loved the things he was doing and hearing him teaching. And so a large crowd had begun to follow Jesus. And he turns around to them and tells them, If you want to be my disciple, you must... By comparison, hate everyone else, your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, sisters. Yeah, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, 
on the surface, that sounds rather contradictory. It may sound more contradictory in some other translations because it doesn't use the word uh, in comparison. It just says, you must hate your father and mother. We know other scriptures teach us to love and to, be, and to honor our mothers and fathers. So, so how does this work? How can, Jesus be, uh, how can Jesus say to us, you've got to hate your family members and even hate your own life? Well, we have to understand. Now, this, this particular teaching is a Hebrew hyperbole, which is a drastic form of expression used to drive a point home. When he says, you, you've got to love the Lord... You, it says it in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You must love the Lord so much more than you love your family members. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a story in Genesis that tells of the trickery that places Jacob in a relationship with two sisters. You may remember it. If not, you may want to go check it out later that day. In Genesis 29, verse 30 and 31, verse 30 says, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Another translation says that his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Another translation says Jacob loved uh, her much more than Leah. Verse 31 says, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Literally, the Lord saw that Leah was hated. This is used in the same way. In Jewish understanding, if you love one more than the other, you love one and you hate the other. Now, what hate means here is an idiom for being loved less than. Does that mean Jacob hated her? No, it doesn't mean that. In fact, if you follow the story, you realize he didn't hate her. No, but the drastic contrast between his feelings towards the two women is shown. He loved one much more than he loved the other one. Scholar Robert Stein uh, notes this and, and tries to explain it. This is a Jewish idiom, he said, which indicated love more so for the Lord than for anyone else. You prefer one over the other. I thought that puts it pretty plainly. So this is simply a brief lesson on priorities, where Jesus says, don't let human relationships supersede your divine relationship, your relationship with God. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We sang it earlier. We, we've heard this before. We know this. Sometimes we struggle with that word hate or uh, your, your family because of the way that it's set up in the hyperbole. But becoming a responsible disciple of Jesus is learning to prioritize correctly, to balance family life. Throughout the scriptures, the message is to love and care for your family, even in the New Testament, right? Which puts us in some awkward situations sometimes. Sometimes we're faced with tough decisions because of this responsibility of choosing, uh, prioritizing correctly, kind of like several friends who were out deer hunting. They separated into pairs, and then that evening they would return to camp. And one of the guys returned alone, staggering in, dragging an eight-point buck all by himself. The other said, hey, where's Harry? And the lone hunter said, Harry fainted a couple of miles back, helping me pull out this deer. 
The other said, and you left Harry back there alone and brought the deer instead? And the guy said, it was a tough call, but I didn't think anybody would steal Harry. (laughs) You and I will have to make some tough decisions in life if we are to be a disciple of Jesus. You have to prioritize correctly. And sometimes the most difficult plans to don't have to do with you, but rather have to do with your loved ones. Most particularly your plans for your children, their future. We want what's best for them, and we struggle when we see them making choices that we might think would have negative effects over the long haul, and, and, we, and we worry about them. Maybe one decides ministry is going to be their life, and we realize there will be some struggles there. Or maybe, maybe we have a child who decides they're going to set up shop in a third world country uh, and reach out to poverty-stricken orphans, uh, which is a far cry from, why don't you just marry somebody from town here, and we can all get together on Sunday for dinner. Sometimes parents had a bad relationship, a bad experience uh, in a church, and therefore they don't want to see their kids going to church. Satan tugs at you and your plans through your plans for your kids. It's tough to raise your children to love God so much that in contrast, their desire to serve God supersedes mom and dad's more selfish agenda. The highest compliment I believe any child can pay you is to spend their adult years clearly communicating the attitude that says what we just sang, I surrender all to Jesus. The follower of God must learn that God comes first even over family. Abraham found out that decision whenever he was told by God, commanded by God, to sacrifice his son. And he laid Isaac on that altar, Genesis 22. Would you trust God with your Isaac? Love your family, but love the Lord more. The second responsibility Jesus talks about is in verse 27 about surrendering completely. He says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He's telling this to these large crowds, all these people who are following him. We kind of like what he says. We kind of like the miracles he does. Jesus is the same, but if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. What does that look like in the 21st century? Luke uses that word disciple, learner, 264 times. We tend to want to know, but what are the minimum daily requirements for being a follower of Jesus, Jim? One preacher was so disgusted, he advertised a no-excuse Sunday where he provided scorecards for those who wanted to list the hypocrites present. He provided steel helmets for those who said the, cave, the roof would probably cave in if I ever came. And he decorated with both Christmas and Easter decorations to cut down on trauma from those who never seen it any other way. Are we real disciples? That's the question Jesus is asking. Are you really following me? Are you willing to carry your cross, which was not a symbol on a building or a symbol in a building or something you put on your arm or a piece of jewelry hung around your neck? The cross we bear is in our minds and in our hearts to be Jesus in the world. 
you know, one of the things that was terribly um, instructional to me was finding out a piece of history that tells us that we know that there was a Jewish rebellion in Nazareth. That, does that name sound familiar to you, Nazareth? There was a Jewish rebellion in Nazareth where Jesus grew up during his teenage years where the Romans crucified an Israelite every 10 yards. Think of a football field. Every 10 yards there was a cross with an Israelite crucified on it for 10 miles. 1,760 dead or dying Jews. Jesus knew what a cross was. He knew it was a sign. He knew it was a symbol. It was a hundred-pound instrument of death meant to bring the Israelites under control. Jesus knew what he was calling for when he said, if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. He was calling for surrender, dying to our own desires, putting the desires of God first in our life and to find the amazing rest and peace that he brings. The third responsibility Jesus mentions is counting the cost. Beginning in verse 28 is a rather uh, longer uh, uh, stories or parables he tells. But don't begin, he says, being my disciple, following me, until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, there's the person who started the building but couldn't afford to finish it. Or, verse 31, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 soldiers could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, He would send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Be sure you count the cost before jumping into following Jesus. I remember hearing years ago about a Michigan town who spent $50,000, $50,000, to buy new flagpoles for the community, which they did. The problem they had was they didn't have any money for flags after they got the poles put up. Is there anything more useless than a flagpole without a flag? Hasty transactions bring painful losses. Counting the cost before building a tower, but more importantly, counting the cost before making a commitment to Jesus. Jesus never encouraged, never encouraged an unthinking, impulsive leap into discipleship. Which is why before you make the decision to follow Jesus in baptism, you should think about it, pray about it, reflect upon it. It's why we don't have long, emotional, drawn-out invitations to try to guilt-trip you into making that decision here and now. We want it to be something you've, you've studied about, you've prayed about, you, you, you've reflected upon, and you are ready to step out in faith because you have counted the cost. 
You know, the word Savior means someone who rescued you. From, and Jesus is our Savior because He rescued us from the devastating effects of sin. The word Lord means ruler. Maybe in 21st century terms, CEO or boss. He dictates the direction your life takes on a daily basis. It's all part of understanding what it means to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, King Jesus. Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ. How does Jesus ask you to carry your cross, to, sur- to surrender completely to him? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's asking if you're willing to let a dream die, a dream you've held on all your life, but you have to let it die in order to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're, are you willing to sever a relationship who's always pulling you away from Jesus? Listen again to what Jesus said. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Well, confession time. I have trouble giving up. <laughs> Do you? I have trouble giving up. I mean, I can make it to church most Sundays. That's all right. But to be completely given over, to say to Jesus, I surrender all and really mean it. Doesn't that border on being fanatical? Well, you need to keep perspective. Love the story about a guy who was serving his church in guest ministry. He was out front at the doors one Sunday when... When a guest walked up and began to ream him out about how far out he had to part, he kept complaining and getting more angry and agitated at the guy. The guy kept apologizing, but the guest wouldn't let it go. He kept on and began to yell at him. At a very tense moment, the church member, wanting to help the guest keep his difficulties in perspective, said, hey, the good news today is we're not going to be driving nails in your hands. He said there's dead silence. And the stunned guest walked off into the auditorium. After worship, the guest was leaving, and the member caught him and apologized to him again when the guest said, no, that's what I needed to hear. He gave the greeter a hug and left. It's really good to keep in mind just how small our trials are in comparison to Calvary. There are a lot of difficulties we will go through. But they won't be driving nails in our hands. The Apostle Paul said towards the end of the book of Acts, I consider my life worth nothing to me if. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Count the cost. The final responsibility is live consistently. These are familiar words to us, I think, in verse 34. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is neither good for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear, let him listen and understand. 
Salt does a lot of different things. Back then, if salt came in contact, the salt they had, if it came in contact with something dirty or earthy, somehow or the other, it seemed to lose its saltiness, its essence, its character. And Jesus makes it very clear in that statement that the challenge for us today in 2022 is to live such consistent and genuine lives that the people we associate with are, are lifted up or brought up rather than us being brought down. That your lifestyle is so consistently genuine that there's no difference at all in who you are when you're in this room and who you are at a party. Who you are in a Bible study and who you are out in the neighborhood. Live such good lives among the unbelieving neighbors, Peter wrote, that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and give honor to God. At an airport, a big airport, a skycap who is somebody's checking in customers outside, accidentally knocked over a customer's bag, and the customer began to cuss, cuss the skycap out. The skycap kept smiling and apologizing while the customer continued his verbal barrage. After he had left, the next guy said to the skycap, I've never seen such incredible restraint in all my life. How did you keep your cool? And the skycap said, it's easy. That man, he's going to Detroit. That bag is going to Denver. What do people observe about you and me? What do they do? What do they, what do they see when they see you out in your front yard? What do they hear when you're in the backyard or in the break room at work? Or is it the same thing? Are you? Is your essence? Is your character? Is your life the same here as it is there? Are you relying upon God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit He gave you when you began to follow Him to strengthen you to be the same wherever you are, a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you consistent? Or are you simply content to, have, to be privileged, to sit in privilege and never move closer toward responsibility? Well, King Jesus drew a line on Mount Calvary and said, carry your cross and follow me. Some of our shepherds will be up here, Bob and Randy. Michael Albright will be in the prayer room. James German up in the balcony. Maybe your next step in following Jesus is to spend some time in diligent prayer and study. These men would love to, to visit with you and share with you about that. Or maybe your next step is to walk across the line and say, I've thought, I've studied, I, I've prayed about this, and I believe Jesus is God the Son, and I desire with all my heart for him to be my Savior and my Lord. Because there's going to be a day when we all will bow before him 
And we'll all stand face to face with him who died and rose again as we stand together and sing. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.org where you can find all sorts of information, including how to contact us and how to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.